0: Well, good morning. How are you guys? Good. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. Um, So if I didn't get to meet you before the service, please come find me after the service. I would love to meet you, talk with you, and catch up with you. I'm seeing some faces I haven't seen in a while. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up or your phones or whatever. Go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are going to end up here in a little bit. So I want to give you a couple updates I'm excited about. Brandon, I think, is going to talk more about these um, during announcements. But one of the things probably uh, three weeks ago, a month ago, I asked you guys to be praying about um, is, is how we do outreach in the time of coronavirus, right? It's just it's more complicated. We can't do block parties like we used to. We can't do, at least right now, we can't do a lot of things that we used to do. And so just praying that God would point us in the right direction. I just want to give you a couple really cool updates um, of things that God's given us the opportunity to be involved with and engage with. And for a lot of us, it's not all of the body at once, but I want you to know what's going on. I want you to know what our church is trying to do. And so one thing I'm really pumped about is Denny and I went over to Victory Mission the other day with the guys in the restoration program. Um, they were doing their thing, but we went in the back and what they want to do is, um, you, you guys have never been there, so let me explain what the restoration building is like. It used to be an old hospital, is that right, John? Is it an old hospital, right? Like really old. Um, And so it's very institutional feeling. It's a blessing and it's great, but it's very institutional feeling. And the guys are on top of each other all of the time, right? They go through this program and they're in this building and they're getting restored from whatever they walked out of and learning about Jesus, but they're on top of each other. So they don't really have a place to go and be alone with the Lord or be alone with a couple of guys and, re- and, and really dive in. It, they just feel like uh, there's always someone there. And so there's a room that they've set aside and they've asked us as Freshwater and a couple other people to kind of redesign that room to be a library and a place where they can go and pray and I'm really excited about it, right? And so we've already got a list of like, I think we, we put together a list of almost 50 books that we want to have in there. Like we want every book in there to be absolutely theologically solid, whether it's the really simple faith book or a little more deep, deep theologically. We just want every book in there to know they can pick up any book off that shelf. They're not donated. They're not just donated extra books from people, right? There's nothing wrong with donating books, but we don't, they don't want... We don't want them to have leftovers. We want them to have every book they pull off that shelf they can start re- reading right then and learn about Jesus wherever they are in their faith. But we also want a place where they can go and just spend time quietly with the Lord and study and prayer. And so there's going to be a prayer bench and we're going to repaint everything with really great colors. And there's some ladies that we're working with that are like basically, there's a lady that's got like a, a, a her college degree in, I don't know what it's called. I don't want to like, no, we got a, another interior design person, but like in, Book management, like being like, College level at being a librarian—that sounds like—but you know what I mean. Like that—that's what she does: how to organize books and how to set things set things up so it's to maximize the space. And so she's involved, and I'm really, really pumped about this. And so thank you, church, for for giving freely so that we can jump into this. With with I'm helping pick out the books, and I've I've emailed a bunch of pastors: send me your top three books if you could have like for people who are we want that to be simple and they can grab the faith, grab a hold of it. What books meant the most of you? And so I've reached out to a bunch of people, actually. To recommend books, and they're in, they're doing the interior design, and we're going to have a work day soon. We can't have a lot of people come and do the work day, but a few of us will go in there and we'll work, and we'll paint, and we'll lay the carpet, and put up the shelves, and put up. It's gonna it's gonna be amazing. I can't wait. These guys need this desperately, and so I'm really glad that we get to be involved in something, in something like this. So just be praying about that 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 would come together really well. And if you want to be involved with that in some way, come and talk to me after the service. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about what that might look like. And then secondly, this is something that Brandon's going to talk about afterwards is things are really weird for williams elementary too right the school that we've been pouring in for for seven years and so they want to do a back to school bash obviously that's not going to happen they're like looking for ways for us to get involved and it's just really hard to make to make that happen in any significant way. So, he, there's a couple things coming up. We, we had a meeting with Ms. Dessa, the principal, and a couple other people. And um, I think there's going to be a canvassing. They want us to go with them, like door to door, to kids who haven't signed up for school yet that they haven't heard from and go and knock on the door and ask them because a lot of times that communication doesn't get out. So, we're going to get to partner with Williams. I, I think they want us to go one freshwater person, one Williams person, and go knock on these doors and meet these families and get them signed up for school. And so, that's a really cool way that we can get involved. I don't know when that canvas is going to happen, but that's a cool one. That's that, that came up in that meeting, right? Together, we were just planning about the community and how we can serve and love, and Miss Dessa and, and us, we started throwing out ideas, and this came together. So I'm really pumped about that. And then another thing that we're going to do is um, usually James River Church does this huge supply push. I mean, you know, they're 12,000 members or whatever. They basically get enough supplies for a dozen schools more. Um, and they're not doing it this year because they can't gather like we can. They can't spread out like we can. And so they're not doing that supply drive. And so Williams has asked us to really step up this year as much as we can to provide more supplies for their kids than we normally would. And we normally provide quite a few, but we normally would. And so I think Brandon's going to talk more about that. Um, but man, you know what I loved about that meeting? Um, I told Ms. Dessa, you just keep asking for what you need. And we have to. if we have to say no at that point, we'll say no. And she's like, well, you've never said no before. It's like, oh my, and she wasn't, she wasn't saying like, oh, you're going to say no this time. She's like, she's like, well, it was so encouraging that moment. She's like, well, you guys never say no. So if you say no this time, that's totally okay. Like she, she's been there for a year and she was literally like, couldn't, it was almost like she couldn't believe it. She's like, well, you've never said no in the past. So they're more worried. They're more worried about us, about them over asking us than us not showing up. And so many relationships with churches and schools? Is the church not coming through like they said they would come through? That's where a lot of these relationships fall apart, and Miss Dessa is trying to be careful not to ask us too much because she knows that we always say yes, and we always come through for them. That's a really cool place to be in our relationship with them, and so um, you'll get some details about how you can help us raise supplies and get these kids um, what they need, but there's some cool things going on. It may not be the big church movement. We all go as a gigantic group, but God is opening. We pray that God would open doors for us to reach into our community, and He is opening those doors, and we're going to, walk through them and we're going to walk into them. So keep praying that God keeps giving us opportunities to serve and to love our community, to be the hands and feet of Christ, that we're not just gathering on Sunday and hearing good things, Jesus things, but we're taking it out into the community. So please keep praying for that um, because it's just a complicated thing to figure out as we go and to keep focused in on that. All right, so let's get to today. We're jumping back into our Gospel-Centered Family series today, and today we're going to be talking about a big topic, marriage. Um, You know, I've been married for 19 years. Uh, That's a long time, right? There's people who've been married for a lot longer than that, but I've been married for 19, and some people um, are really surprised by that. Not when they look at me, they think I'm old, but when they look at my wife, they think it's crazy that we've been married for 19 years because they think she's in her her mid-20s, and they kind of freak out when they're like, you're married to her? You know that actually happened to us? Somebody freaked out because they're like the pastor's married to that lady? Because they thought she was 25 and I was 50 and thought I married someone 25 years younger than me. That, sorry, I didn't mean to out you. Anyway, um, my wife's actually older than me, by the way. She's older than me. And she, the people think she's 15 years, 20 years younger than me. Um, and so we've been married for 19 years. And over that time, we've learned a lot of things. Uh, apparently, I haven't learned that you don't tell entire church that your wife's older than you. But there's been a lot of other things that we have learned um, in marriage. And here's the most important things that we've learned. Through the highs and the lows, through the good times and the bad times, through things going really well and things beginning really hard sometimes, that how the Bible says we should do marriage works. How the Bible says we should do marriage works. Because in the end, marriage isn't primarily about making you happy or making me happy. And it can do that. And God wants it to do that. But that's not the primary role. Hear me, the, the primary role is not to give you companionship or children. It's a really important role. It's something that God talks about from the very beginning, but it's not the primary role of marriage. The primary thing that God designed marriage to do is to reflect the gospel. That's its primary purpose, to reflect more specifically, to reflect our union with Jesus Christ. That a fact alone is why marriage works if you do it God's way. Because here's, the, here's just the reality of it. And if you've been married, you know this. I'm going to fail my wife. And my wife is going to fail me. But Jesus Christ will never fail us. And on that, we can build a foundation that cannot be shaken. Everything else can be shaken. But that is a foundation you can build your marriage on that can't be shaken. And those just aren't words. And so, again, if you haven't been with us, we've been going through a series called Gospel-Centered Family. And today, I just really feel like is, is an important day in this series Because um, in this series, we've talked about that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a son of God, that we are called sons of God, male and female. We are sons of God. We are the children of God adopted into his family. And God wants us in his family so badly that he gave everything. He gave, in particular, his own son so that we might not only be saved and redeemed, but so that we might become more like him. So that we might share in his love and his glory and then one day have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. So this crazy idea of along with Christ, in Christ, we are sons of God. We are his children. We are his firstborn. So that's where we really built the foundation of the series. And since building that foundation, we've talked about what it means to be a gospel-centered man. We've talked about what it means to be a gospel-centered woman. Even last week, we talked about what it means to be a gospel-centered single person. But, but this week, I think we're really going to get to the heart of this series. And I say that because I've mentioned this in this series already. The whole story of the Bible is a story about family. It's about God's family. And at the heart of that is marriage. The first command that God ever gave us was to be, fru- to be fruitful and multiply. And the rest of the scripture plays out very clearly that God intended marriage in that. He was talking about being married, being together, to be fruitful and multiply. The first command ever given in the Bible. Jesus calls us, his church, his bride. and that we are his, And that he is our groom. Heaven is described as a wedding banquet. From beginning to end, we see that the story of the Bible is a story about God and his family. And at the heart of that concept of family is this union we find in marriage. So here's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. This week, we're going to really start by introducing the idea and the purpose of marriage, but we're really going to focus in on what that looks like for husbands, the role of husbands in a marriage in particular. And then next week, we'll come back to it, and we'll talk again kind of about the heart of marriage, the, the, really, the, the, the purpose of marriage again, but then we'll really focus in on wives and what, what, you, what God intended for your role to be in marriage. And how we're going to do this is we're going to do it by diving into one of the most famous, and in my opinion, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture about marriage, and that's Ephesians 5. And so if you've been coming to Freshwater for a long time, like years, um, you've heard me preach in this passage before. And um, I'm going to preach in it again today, and here's why. If, if you've been, again, if you've been coming to Freshwater for any amount of time, you've heard me say that we never graduate from the gospel, right? We never move on from Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done. We need the gospel every day. We have to keep coming back to it again and again and again, because as we dive into it, we become more like Christ. God continually changes our hearts, and He's going to continue to do that until the day that we die, and then we're going to celebrate the, the grace, the immeasurable grace of Jesus Christ forever and eternity. Like, we never move on from it. In the same way, maybe to a lesser extent, but in the same way, the truths that are found in Ephesians 5 for married people or those who want to be married someday, we never stop diving into them. We never graduate from them. We never move on from them. And so if you've heard Ephesians 5 preached before, don't think, oh, here we go again. Like, listen, this is the key to marriage. This is the heartbeat. This is the foundation on Jesus Christ. But really, we're going to find out that Ephesians 5 is really not about marriage, but about Jesus Christ anyway, right? It's really about the gospel. And if you can hold on to these truths, dive deeper into these truths, I'm telling you, you can have a healthy marriage that, glorify, most importantly, that glorifies God. And hear me, if you're in here today and you're single this applies to you because if you're single and you want to get married, this is what you're going to want to look for in a spouse, this kind of man or this kind of woman. You're going to want to start praying for these things right now. And if you're single and you feel like God's called you to singleness, pray. we talked about that last week. Praise God for that. right? But you're also probably going to disciple a man or a woman that, that will be married or that wants to be married, and you want to point them back to these truths. Because in the end, just because you're single doesn't mean you can't understand because it, in the end it's about the gospel. So this matters so much for all of us, because it's all about Jesus in the end, anyway. So we're going to try to dive into this and really learn how to really hold hold on to this today. So here's what we're going to do: I'm going to read the passage Ephesians five twenty two through thirty three straight through, and then over the next two weeks we'll come back to it and kind of break it down a little by little. So go ahead and open your Bibles or your phones or whatever to Ephesians five twenty two, and let's let's read the whole passage together and really. Listen, I think we bring our cultural context and our, our past and good, good marriages and bad marriages that we've seen in our lives into this text, and we can't help that. But really wh- listen to what this is saying. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Okay, like I said, we're going to take this passage as a whole, but we're going to, I just read it as a whole, but we're going to take it over the next few weeks and we're going to break it down. And I'm going to do something that I almost never do. I very rarely do. I'm going to start at the end of the passage, and we're going to work our way back up. Because really, the heart of what this is trying to say, the heart of what marriage is, is found at the end of the passage. So I just want to talk about that up front. I want us to get to the heart of what this is meant to be, and then we'll go back and talk about how the heart of it affects husbands, how it affects the role of wives in marriage. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to go back and read that kind of really the heartbeat, how it's all summed up what marriage is meant to be in verse 31. So read again in 31 through 33, and really listen. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so here in verse 31, we see... um, Paul, who wrote, the, wrote this book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it was really written by God, but Paul wrote the words. Um, and so we see here that, that um, Paul quotes one of the first commands that God ever gave us in Genesis 2.24, that we're to leave our parents, that we're to hold fast to each other, and that we will become, in that, become one flesh. And so we've talked, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, or at the beginning of the year in our Trust and Rest series, where we talked about sex, we've talked about this other times, but um, there's this truth in when we get married and when we have sex that God intended, and I I don't think anybody says it better than this, so I'll quote Pastor Matt Chandler again, I do it all the time when I'm talking about this, he says this this is an idea of us mingling our, our souls together, right? This becoming one flesh is mingling our souls. Sex is not just a physical act, Again and again, we talked about That's why it's such a big deal. I know our culture says something different, but it is not just a physical act, and it's not just a legal contract, right? God designed marriage and within marriage, sex in a way that you would no longer simply just be your own person, right? But that that you would supernaturally, that you would spiritually be intertwined with your spouse in the deepest part of you, that you would be unified with them at a soul level, Listen, at a soul level, that's not an exaggeration. And what verse 32 says is that union that with your spouse, that union of your souls coming together is meant to be a reflection of your union with Christ. All through the New Testament, it talks about the mystery of the gospel. Like people didn't understand this mystery that is the gospel. And here it's saying that even marriage is pointing to that mystery of the gospel, our union with Jesus Christ, with his bride, the church. And as you've probably heard me say before, again, if you've been coming here, that that our union with Christ is described like a marriage. In Scripture, it says that we become one flesh with Christ, that our spirits are unified with His, that we are His bride and that He is our groom. Listen, it's this union. We are unified with Him. That's what this is all supposed to reflect. He is our soulmate. Does that sound weird? He's our soulmate. Listen, for those of you who aren't married or even if you are married, you don't have the one out there. There is no the one. You know why? Because Christ is the one. He's the one. He's the one to focus on. He is your soulmate. And out of that union, your marriage can be healthy in your union because it spills out of that to empower you to be all that you can be in Christ through your union with Him. He's your soulmate. And it's this mind-blowing truth that our spirits have been linked with the Spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit for an eternity. What? That's what we're walking in, through the Holy Spirit. You have been unified with Christ for an eternity. We are Christ's in the deepest part of us. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. So as Christ pours out His grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and kindness and goodness and truth. And maybe most importantly, his love, as he pours all of those things out on us, his bride, he does that so that we might flourish through that union. He just consistently pours out all those things because he wants us to flourish in our union with him. And our marriages are meant to reflect that same thing. Right, we're supposed to pour out those so, those same things on our spouse and our union with them, so that they might flourish. So to reflect that fully, God has, so, to, so, to fully reflect what God, who God is, and what Christ has done for us, God has given husbands and wives equal, but different roles within the marriage relationship. Both fully reflecting who Christ is, but they differ so that we might complement one, one another in a way that when we're fully functioning in these roles, when our love um, is, is fully poured out for each other, that our love for each other not only grows, but our love for Christ go, grows. Because that's what this is really about, drawing us closer to Jesus, drawing us closer to God for our union in marriage and our roles within that union are designed to make us more and more like Christ, make us more and more reflect the image of Christ More and more reflect that image to the world who is watching. And so that one day, we would fully realize this when we get to heaven and fully understand his glory. Fully understand who we're meant to be. But until that day, marriage is meant to build us closer and closer and closer into that glory until the day we arrive in heaven. And what is at the heart of these roles? What is at the heart of marriage? That's what's found in verse 33. I'm going to read it one more time. I'll read it to you if you want. Verse 33. One more time. I'm going to start in verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's kind of at the heart of how we live this thing out that God is talking about. That God is talking about. Husbands, love your wives as yourself, and wives see that you respect your husbands. Now we'll talk about this as we we go. Wives, are you supposed to love your husband? Of course, right? Men, are we supposed to respect our wives? Of course, but there's something at the heart of this That God's going to explain to us through Ephesians 5 over the next couple weeks that the primary role for men is to love their wives, and the primary role for the wives is to respect their husbands. There's something built into each of us that longs for those things, that are built up by those things, that will thrive in those things. If that's what we're focused on, that's really what we're building into each other. So ladies, as we talk about husbands this week, I really want you to pay attention. Because what we're going to see next week is that your role within this um, is vitally, vitally important. And I would go as far to say, I think what Scripture is teaching us is your husband could never be what he could be without you, just like you could never be what you could be without him within a marriage relationship. It's meant to be that way. As we talked about last week, if you're single, Jesus Christ is your spouse, right? He'll help build you into what you're meant to be. But God designed when that union happens, when we become one flesh, that we would build each other up to be more than we could ever be without each other. So ladies, you really need to pay attention this week because God's God has given you the role to help your husband become what we're going to be talking about today. And then we'll flip that next week. So with that, let's look at God's intention for husbands first in verse 25 as we kind of work our way backwards up the text. Um, So let's read verse 25 again, 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Can I just say quickly before I finish reading, this may be selfish, this may be because I'm a guy. But to me, that feels like one of the most difficult commands in the entire Bible. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is intimidating. I love like Christ gave himself up. Like he died on the cross to love his bride. He gave everything up. He had all the power. He had everything and he gave it all up. It's so intimidating. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, this is talking about Christ here, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Listen, men, your role in marriage is to lead your family. That's what God's called you to do, to lead your family, to be the spiritual leader of your home. Of course your wives are with you in that, you're partnered in that, and of course you guys both do that, but God has given that responsibility to you. And how does this say that that leadership, right, we get hung up on what our culture says, but what does it say, what does it say that how that leadership plays out in this passage? Your leadership like of your home plays out by you loving your wife as Christ loved his bride, the church, and gave himself up for her. I'm so sick, particularly of Christian men, but I'm so sick of men who are domineering and controlling over their wives and, and ruining what this is meant to be, especially Christian men who should know better, trying to dominate or domineer. And I'm so sick of our, our culture who's trying to tell us that this kind of portrayal is a negative thing. Listen to what it is actually saying. Listen to what leadership... actually actually is in Scripture. We talked about this at men's group this week. Like, we have a culture of men now, and and even Christian men, young men, that don't really know how to be a biblical man. And that's because, in a lot of ways, there was a generation of men before them that weren't loving their wives this way. They were either abandoning their responsibilities, or they were domineering and controlling, and it turned everybody off from what biblical manhood and being a husband actually is. It's such a beautiful thing. Give your whole life for the sake of your bride. A husband's role is to give his life, to give himself, to forego his own needs, to lay it all on the line so that his wife might feel loved, so that she might thrive, so that she might know Jesus more. And the main way we do this, men, is by loving our wives like Christ and constantly pointing them and our family back to christ you know in verse 26 and 27 i think people misread this sometimes it meant it isn't saying that you wash your wife clean and present her in splendor this is talking about christ and his relationship to his bride the church Right? It's Christ that washes us clean. It's Christ that, that makes us blameless and righteous before God so that he can present us in splendor as, as clean. That's what, that's what really empowers our wives to thrive. That's really what empowers us to thrive. Men, like, Listen, husbands, you don't do this. You don't save your wives. You don't wash them clean. Do not carry that kind of weight. You are, you are too sinful, you're not holy enough, and you're not supposed to carry the weight of making sure that your wife is holy and clean before God. What you do is you work really hard and you protect and you serve your wife in a way that it is just glaringly obvious that you are giving yourself to your wife in a way that consistently demonstrates the love of Christ and constantly points her to Christ because he's the one that redeems. He's the one that restores. He's the one that burns away sin. He's the one that grows her in her holiness. You give your all to provide an environment that she can thrive. Wives, you have a role similar to that that we're going to talk about next week, but this is the role that God has given men. This is how you will lead. That's what you take responsibility for. And that's what it truly means to be a man of God. That's what it means to be a husband. In verse 28 and 29, it literally says that we love our wives as ourselves. Do you know how culturally radical this is? Like people try to say the Bible's trying to hold women down. Man, during this time, and really for most of the history of the world, women didn't have real rights, right? They didn't get to do things like vote. Their opinion didn't matter as much. Listen, in, in, in a testimony in court in a lot of these places in the world, their testimony wouldn't hold up in court. Do you know why? Because they were women. Like how crazy is that? And so what Paul is really saying, what God is saying here is absolutely cultural radical. Hey, men, stop trying to dominate your wives. Stop trying to lead your wife in this way. This is how you lead. You lead by loving your wife as yourself. You, You lead by loving her like Christ and laying down your life for her. That's what leadership really looks like. But here's the truth. Men, we are so selfish. Women, you're selfish too, but we'll get to you next week. Then we're so selfish. We can be so self-focused. We can get so caught up, which is thinking about what, what we need to do. So our focus is either way out there, not with our wives, not with our families. It's out there doing whatever we feel like we need to do, whether that's work or video games or porn or whatever. It's out there. Or we swing the other way and we're in it into apathy. And just not caring, just letting other people take responsibility. Just, just casting that responsibility away. The reality is that selfishness, that self-focus, that constantly thinking about our own needs only leads us down a path of apathy, only leads us down a path of sin. But the, here's, the, here's the really damaging thing. That only, that only affects us, but it affects our wives, it affects our children, it affects our families. Your men, your fullness in Christ, your joy, and, your, and a healthy marriage is all centered around you pouring out your life to serve. Pouring out your life to serve. In verse 29, it says that we are to nourish and cherish our wives. It talks about how we nourish and cherish our own bodies, and we're to love in that same way, to nourish and to cherish. Do you know what that, that word nourish really means? It, it means to give what is needed in order to foster growth so that health... And, so it, it, let me say that again. It means to give what is needed in order to foster growth and health so that something might thrive. So that something might thrive. In Genesis, God said, men, that your role is to cultivate and to keep. To nourish, that means to nourish and to protect. And then Ephesians 5 adds the word here, cherish. Men, you're to love your wives in such a Christ-like way that your wives feel cherished. Not that they put up with you, not that they think you're a pretty good guy, but that they actually feel cherished by you. Because listen, that's what Christ wants you to feel from him. We talk about all the time how so many of us live our Christian life like God's got his thumb on us trying to tell us how we're not good enough. When in reality, what the Bible communicates is, yes, sin is terrible, and we need to strive for holiness, and we need to be obedient, and we need to be self-controlled, but God asks us to operate in a certain way because He cherishes us, and He wants the best for us, and He wants us to feel that love. He wants us to feel cherished by Him. That's how your wives should feel, cherished, empowered to be who they are in Christ, that they have a safe environment just to chase whatever God's called them to chase so that they can feel whole and so that they can thrive. That's the goal. That's the call. That's the role. And so, man, let me say this to you. I know that for most of us, that is incredibly intimidating. Because we're sinful. Because we know that we're selfish. And because you feel, most of you feel lacking to lead your family in this way. And so, ladies, I, w- I want you to hear and, not, and, and do your best not to be angry or frustrated by this, but this is the reality. Ladies, virtually every man on the planet feels insecure about this. There's something in all of us that knows this is right, that knows this is who we're supposed to be, but we feel ill-equipped to lead like this. We feel too sinful to lead like this. We feel intimidated to lead like this. And hear me, being domineering and selfish is way easier. Just trying to control things is easier. Or, on the flip side, being apathetic and just letting whatever happens, just letting, let, letting you just run everything that goes on in the family. And listen, I'm, don't mishear me. Marriage is a partnership. You should be doing these things together. But a lot of men either end up being domineering or they just kind of check out. And they're just like, well, well whatever. I'll go, I'll go work outside the home and I'll help provide. And then, and then you can do everything else. You just kind of do whatever you want, right? They're, just, they're checking out one way or another by, domin- by dominating or by apathy and checking out on the other side. Because we feel ill-equipped for this. We feel too sinful for this. We're intimidated by this. And so it's hard to be what we know we're supposed to be because those other things are just easier. Now, ladies, we're going to talk about next week how you can be an incredibly powerful force in helping your husbands be what they could be next week. Because we need you in this fight and for you to be everything that God's called you to be so that not only you can help your husband, but you can thrive and your family can thrive. But we'll get to that next week. But men... As intimidating or as scary or even as hopeless as this sounds to some of you, there's a truth that is absolutely scripturally undeniable. A truth that that brings us back to passages like this again and again and again. The creator of the universe, the one who upholds heaven and earth, the one who designed you like wonderfully and fearfully designed you out of love is behind you all the way in this. Like all the way, you are not alone in this. The creator of everything that holds everything together is behind you. He wants you to thrive in this. He wants you to be this kind of man. He literally died on the cross to pay for your sins so that you might be redeemed, so that you might grow, so that you might have the holiness of Jesus Christ inside of you so that you could grow and be the man that he's called you to be. You are not alone. Jesus loves you, men. He left an example for you, men, that you could follow so that you could be the leader of your home that he has called you to be. He is behind you. We don't have to be afraid. Yes, it's intimidating. It's a little bit scary, but you were not given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Seek the Lord in this. Seek mentors in this. Seek the word in this, and you can grow. And ladies, don't be nudging your husband when I'm saying these things today. Like, look, look, look how you're failing, because I'm going to get to you next week. That's just the reality of it, right? And I want to build you up because I want to build the men up, but we've got to take this responsibility serious. So women, right now as you start thinking, not like, oh, I wish my husband was this. Like, how can I help my husband become this? How can I pray for him? How can I love him? And then husbands, wherever you are, even if you've been failing like crazy at this, there is a starting point today where you can start making changes one step at a time. As a couple, as a married couple, do not hold yourselves accountable to being this fully if you're nowhere near that now. Just begin taking steps to love each other as this is calling you to love each other. Men, take a step. Seek out help because the creator of the universe is behind you. Because here's the other side. I I want you to understand that God wants you to thrive and he's behind you and he loves you and he'll redeem you and all that is true. But make no mistake, God is also going to hold you accountable to this. So saying, I don't know how, or I'm not good at this, or I never had an example, all of those things make it more difficult, and I get all of those things, and we want to be with you in those things, but God is going to hold you accountable to this. When Eve ate the fruit and brought sin into the world and then offered it to her husband, and the moron took it and ate, right? Who did God hold accountable for that? Adam, not Eve. Through the rest of Scripture, we saw it all the way into Romans, the entire story of the Bible is how sin came into the world through who? Adam. When, when Abraham and Sarah, if you don't know who Abraham and Sarah are, man, they're the, the beginning of the Jewish people. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. But when Abraham and, when God promised Abraham and Sarah a child, and they got tired of waiting on the Lord, have you ever got tired of being patient and waiting on the Lord? Yeah, Adam, Abraham and Sarah did too. So when Abraham and Sarah, God promised them a kid, but it'd been like 20 years and they didn't have a kid, what did Sarah suggest? Why don't you sleep with my servant and see if she'll give you a kid? She lost her faith. She lost her patience in the Lord and suggested that her husband sleep with another woman to have a kid when God had promised them a kid. And so they did that. Who did did God hold accountable for that? Abraham. Because it was his job to spiritually lead, to do the right thing, to love like God loves. Listen, God takes this seriously. Man, you got to take this seriously. He's going to hold you accountable for how you led your family because we see that all through Scripture. This is your job. Take it seriously. Like I said before, I think so much of the moral collapsing of our culture could have been prevented if men would have stepped up and lead. But we have so many fatherless homes. So many homes where men are just checked out or so many homes where men are domineering and controlling and they're not actually seeing what a godly man and a godly husband is supposed to be. And so, so many of us young men and older men never had an example, never saw anything, so we don't know how to do this. This passage is telling you how to do this. We have men in here that love their wives well. They want to they help, help you see how to do this. You're not alone. God is with you. We are with you. But make no mistake, God's going to hold you accountable to this. In the same way, men, that God has put a weight on me as your pastor and in the other pastors to lead this church spiritually, he's laying a weight on you to lead your family spiritually too. And again, you're not alone in that. Listen, just the same way as a pastor to lead this church spiritually, God's going to hold me accountable to If I protected and led this, this church spiritually well, right? But am I alone in that? No, like I've got all of you. We've got theological rock stars in this and we have debates and we talk and they call me out if I'm off on things sometimes and we we have these talks and we all build up the church together. This is a team. We're all in this together. This is just the role that God gave me and your role in our church is in no way less significant. It in no way matters less. This is just the role that God has asked me to do but we're in this together to protect and grow our church in the same way. You are in it together in marriage, men. Your wife should be right beside you doing this thing together, but ultimately as God will hold me accountable for how I led this church, he's going to hold you accountable for how you supported and loved and spiritually led your family. And the primary way God guys that he's calling you to carry that responsibility is not by you making all the decisions. That's not what this is at all. It's not by you controlling the finances right? And it's not you telling your wife how it's going to be and that she just has to follow behind you. That's not what this is at all. Demanding anything like that, making those kind of demands on your wife is a product of sin. It's a product of the Genesis 3 fall. It's a product of the curse that sin brought into the world. You lead your wife by loving her, by pouring yourself out for her, by cherishing her and helping create an environment where you work really hard so that your wife might thrive and grow in Christ. And then you do the same thing for your kids. Absolutely, your wife is with you all the way in that. We'll get that next week. But God's going to hold you accountable to that. So what does that look like practically? Right? So I don't want to just keep it up here in the spiritual realm. What does that look like Practically. I think maybe the number one thing that means that you listen to your wife you actually listen to her needs and to her wants and to her thoughts and to where she thinks things should go you strive to understand her needs you don't come home from work or from whatever else and just come in and just ready to check out but you ask how you can and you you ask and seek how you can serve her Yet yeah, we all need some time to rest if we've worked a really hard day. We all need time to rest when we come home. That's a good thing. I'm not saying you, don't, you shouldn't get any time to rest, men or women. But your first thought shouldn't be coming in the door, like, I just need to check out, leave me alone. Your first thought in, when you walk in the door is like, how can I love my family? How can I love my wife? How can I serve them well? Even though I need time to rest, how can I serve them well in that time? It means you learning, I mean really learning and praying, and seeking how God has gifted your wife. And then do everything that you can to help support her in those gifts, to lift her up in those gifts. That's why I describe this as a dance, right? Marriage is a dance. The the man who's leading the dance isn't trying to dominate the dance. He's trying to do everything he can to let let the woman in the dance thrive, and look beautiful, and graceful, and do the things that she does right? Letting the attention not be on him, but on her so he can lift her up. You learn your wife's gifts so that you can learn, lift her up and empower her to be what she is meant to be. It's, it's, it means learning how your wife feels most loved and then loving her not in a way that you feel most loved or that you want to love her, but loving her in a way that she actually feels Christ-like love from you. And here's a, I think those are just like practical examples. Here, here's where it really comes down to: you want to you show Christ-like love. It means being the first to say sorry. It means being the first to seek reconciliation. It means being the first, or being willing to be the first to forgive, to show to show grace. Why should you be first? Or why should you at least be willing to be first? Because that's exactly what Christ did for you. And that's what Christ did for all of us. He didn't wait till we had it together. He didn't wait to see what we deserved. He didn't hold what we've done against us. He just gave himself for his bride so that we might be forgiven, so that we might thrive. Jesus sought reconciliation with us first. So you do the same. Can and should your wife do those things too? Yes, Absolutely she should, but you take personal responsibility because God has told you to, to be willing to be the first every single time and not holding that against her, not going in there bitter because Christ is not bitter at us when we fail again and again and again. He's ready to pour out his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness once again. And it's one of the reasons that keeps us from the cross because we just can't believe that I walked in this sin again, I did this thing again, and God still loves me. He still wants to forgive me. The grace doesn't feel right at times. Is that not true? We distance ourselves from God because how can I run to the cross again? How could God forgive me again? Listen, this is to be a reflection in your marriage. And hear me, pride is a cancer to marriage. Pride will keep you from going to your wife for apologizing, for giving forgiveness, for seeking reconciliation, right? But Christ showed his humility to the point of death on a cross so that we might come to him, so that he might seek reconciliation out with him if we would just come, Men, in the same way, you are to humbly lay your pride aside and show grace and forgiveness as Christ has shown you. Hey, and it's not easy at all. And you're going to fail terribly at this. But that's why we never graduate from what this passage is saying. And we never graduate from the gospel because we can always have the opportunity to do it once again. And I want, I want you to hear this too. If you've got a tough marriage or you're not good at this or honestly... In your heart, you're feeling that your wife's not good at this, of doing her part? Because at times we all feel that way, that we're doing our best and the other person's not. We all feel that way sometimes. Here's what I'm not saying, man. I'm not saying that you get walked all over. That's not biblical either. You're to be strong and to be a leader of your house, right? You, it's not I'm saying you get walked all over, and I'm not saying that you have to accept sin and that you have to accept unhealthy things. Like that, that's not good either. What I am saying is in a situation like this, that you accept your responsibility. When you've gotten in an argument with your wife and it's escalated and it's gotten to the point where you both are arguing or yelling to a point where that it's just not healthy, even if you think she is 90% wrong in that conversation, if you're yelling at her, if, you're, if you raise your voice, if you're angry at her, like you've shown your anger and you've said things, you're at least 10% wrong. And so you laid your pride aside enough and you're willing to go and apologize for that 10%. And not worry about the 90. Because hear me right now, if you go to your wife and you apologize for your 10%, I'm not saying own her stuff, own your stuff, fully own it. Because that's what Christ has done for us. And I'm telling you right now, if you go and apologize for your 10% and say, yeah, I'm sorry for this, this, and this, but you, your apology doesn't count anymore because you really did it for you. Because you needed, you needed the sorry from her. And that's not what Christ has done for. Yes, we need to reconcile with Christ. Yes, that's how it gets healthy. That's how we get redeemed. But you just go and you lay down your pride and you lay down and you go apologize for your part. And you be right there willing to accept forgiveness for for what you feel like is the other 90. Because in reality, how often are you only 10% wrong? Not often. But that's the willingness to go and apologize for your part and not put a but at the end of it. Just do the Christ-like thing because you love her and you want to show her the love of Christ. Very practically, it also means when your wife's had a really rough day, you do something that'll show you that, are, that you love her. In my house, that's if my wife's had a rough day without her asking her, me, without her thinking about it, I just go and I clean the kitchen and that whole area so she doesn't have to think about it or do it. That might not be what it is in your marriage. It might be something completely different, Right? But I don't care that much if the kitchen's clean. My wife does, right? So she's had a rough day just to show her I love her. I go and serve her in that way. If I clean the kitchen and that, that part of the house, she just feels better. She feels love. That's Christ-like love her. You think of ways. How can I show my wife practically or with my words that I love her and not dependent on anything she did just so she knows and that I want her to thrive and I want her to be healthy and I want her to feel whole? It means when she's short with you on that bad day that you don't immediately snap back and tell her all about herself. Means that you let it go, and you're patient, and you're kind, and you show grace and mercy, and maybe a conversation needs to happen later, a time when you can have a good, healthy conversation about it. But in the moment, you don't escalate those things because she just gave you something you didn't deserve. Christ forgives us for things all the time that we don't deserve. It's being willing to step back, take a breath, show the gentleness, the patience. Hey, listen, the long suffering that Jesus Christ shows us, His steadfast love. Here's what else it means. Men, it doesn't mean that you have to pretend that you're a more gifted leader than your wife. Just because God has asked us to operate in these different roles doesn't mean he hasn't gifted your wives incredibly. We have women and we have wives in our churches that are amazing leaders. Listen, more gifted than their husbands in leadership. Because G- again, this isn't about gifts. This is not about gifts. If your wife is more gifted in a particular area then the love for, for the love of God, listen to her. Like if she went to college and she's awesome with finances and she's awesome thinking through how you can invest your money and save your money and spend your money, listen to what she has to say. Let Let her run the finances if it makes sense for your family. This isn't about you controlling things. This is not about you being a better leader in every aspect. This is about you lifting up your wife so she can operate fully in her gifts, but even in all those things, being willing to take responsibility for them. It means if there's a decision that you guys just can't decide on, you don't know which way you're supposed to go, that you're willing to step up, make the decision for your family, and then take full responsibility for how it turns out and not blame your wife, but take responsibility how it turns out. Do you know in 19 years of marriage, where I've made a decision for our family has probably happened two or three times in 19 years. My wife and I, we make decisions together. She's a very gifted woman. I don't need to make decisions without her. We are one. We're not two separate people. We are in this fight together. Like well, everything, let's block out our culture. And when it's screaming at you, we are a partnership. We make decisions together. Even as a church, as an elder, the big decisions that we make as elders, I go to my wife. We talk it through. The other elders talk with their wives. The deacons talk with the, as husbands and wives. They talk together so we can figure out the best way to move forward. But ultimately for our church and for our family, if we make a decision, I'm going to take on the responsibility to carry the weight. Two or three times in our marriage, I've probably done that. And it's happened like this. I've gone to my wife and said, I've prayed and I've sought the Lord. And I I just feel like this is where God wants us to go. This is how God is leading our family. And those two or three times in 19 years that that's happened, do you know what my wife said? Okay. Do you know why? Because she knows that I try to love her like Christ loves the church. Not perfectly perfectly. Man, I've failed so many times. I can't even keep track of how many times I've failed. But she knows that I'm striving to love the Lord and to love her. And that she's seen me try. Fail at times, but she's seen me try to pour out my life to love her well. So when that time came, she trusted me. Because she's seen my character and she just said, okay, yes. But I think in your marriage that should be a rare occasion. That should be a rare occasion because you're in this together. And then lastly, my last practical thing, this is really what it comes down to, men. It means that you pursue the Lord. It means you know his word. It means you give yourself to prayer and you lead your family in prayer. So that when that moment of testing comes, and that's going to come in marriage again and again and again, when those moments of testing come because you're saturated in who God is and who he's made you to be, that you won't respond the way the world responds. You won't respond the way your sinful nature wants you to respond, but you'll respond the way that Christ responds. God has called you both, husbands and wives, to do all of these things, but he has called you, husbands in particular, to take responsibility to every day, every month, every year, point your wife and family to Jesus, whether she's a believer or not a believer constantly trying to point her to Jesus by loving her like Jesus. And some of you are with people, are married to people that aren't believers. Husbands, you just keep loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, we'll talk about that a little bit next week, how, how you can do that. But like men, whether your wife's a believer or not, you can pour out your, your life, show grace and mercy. You can know the word. You can pray for your wife. You can saturate yourself in the word and what God has called you to so that you might respond to her like Jesus Christ has responded to you. And then, no men. When you don't respond like Jesus does, which you will, you repent to the Lord. You take it before the Lord. You apologize to your wife, and you ask for forgiveness, and you see, and and you accept forgiveness, and then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to love more like Jesus Christ the next time. And I'm telling you, He will. I say this with complete humility. Oh, please hear the humility this is coming from. This is no way coming from a prideful, a prideful place. But hear me. I have a wonderful marriage. It is not perfect. No marriage is perfect, but I have a great marriage. And I think my wife would tell you if you asked her that I love her like Christ loves her. I try to love her like Christ loves His church, and not because I'm great, or, or definitely, and, and definitely not because I have it all figured out. Without Christ, I am a selfish, depraved, pride monster. I am so prideful outside of the love of Jesus Christ, but in Christ, by pursuing Christ and by constantly asking Christ to help me love like this, I've become a husband I never could have been on my own. I've become more. And because of that, for my part, my marriage is thriving. And I say marriage is thriving. That doesn't mean we don't get in arguments. That doesn't mean we don't have disagreements at times. It doesn't mean we don't have to work through things. It's part of the sanctification process and learning more about each other and growing. But in all of that, it's not perfect, and I'm not perfect, and I don't love perfectly, but my marriage is thriving. And I promise, I promise, this can be the story of your marriage too. Whether it's there right now or not, it can be the story of your marriage too. You know why? Because God perfectly designed marriage. His design is perfect. Sin messes that up, but his design is perfect and not only is design perfect, but marriage is meant to reflect the perfection of Jesus Christ. And you can reflect this in your marriage. So men, love your wives as your own body and love your wives as Christ loved the church. I'm going to say this one more time. I say this in premarital counseling all the time too. Ladies, don't, don't be too tough on your husbands this week. Right? Don't let the enemy come in and use the truth of this to divide, to create bitterness, to create separation between you and your husband. Husband, that will do nothing to help your marriage thrive. You can have, I'm not, have discussions with your husband. Pray for your husband. Like, think about what, who your husband could, like, like, try to lift him up, try to build him up into what he could be, but don't take this as a reason to be more mad at him. Use this as a reason that you know how to pray for him and seek after him and to encourage him because, gut, ladies, he can be more than he could ever be without you. Don't, as I said before, don't be focused on what he should be, but what he could be. And I'm telling you, you have a tremendous amount of power to build him into what he could be in Christ. Because he's so many men are scared of this or intimidated by this, I feel like they're gonna be a failure at this, and you can be a big part of ensuring and encouraging him that he's not, he doesn't have to be a failure at this, that he can be what he's meant to be. So, so, men, you love your wives, but ladies, you love your husbands too, and you show them respect. And we'll get to more of that next week. And then finally, man, I just wanna say this one more time. If you need help with this, if you need mentorship, If you need discipleship in this, come talk to me. Come talk to Brandon. Come talk to Denny. Come talk to any of our deacons. Go talk to your life group leader. If you see a marriage that, you, that you, you honestly know, like I really believe this marriage is healthy and it's thriving. Not perfect, but healthy and thriving. Go talk to that person. Ask if you can meet with them because I know some of you did not have good examples. Some of you had no fathers or terrible examples as fathers uh, of fathers that walked in this. Listen, you are not alone. Christ is with you and we want to be with you. Man, I've seen men grow in their role and their family and humility and man, creating an environment in their home that, where their wives and family could thrive, but you've got to seek it out. You've got to take responsibility for it. You've got to be willing to be self-controlled and to seek out Jesus and help, so seek it out. We are with you in this. We are with you in this. Men, you were built to work and to keep. You were built to cultivate and to grow, and you were built to cherish and to, and to nourish. And God has just told us how that happens. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You can do this, men. And I know that's absolutely true because the Savior of the world is behind you and God has just told you that you can. So let's seek it together.